Okay, is this thing working? Okay. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. Uh, just want to welcome you all, everybody who's in person and anyone who might be um, visiting online. Um, I am not Pastor Michael. Um, <laughs> my name is David Parker, and I'm the youth intern. I uh, started being an intern here back in September with my um, wonderful fiance, Rachel. Um, and when I think back to the very first interaction I had with Michael, it was an interview for the position, and we're just going over it, and one of the very little details he said is, and we'd also like you to preach some too. And I very much just glossed over it, like, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And then I uh, also want to jump up a little bit to the very first staff meeting we ever had. It was me and Rachel and um, Pastor Michael and his wife, Christy, and and he just said, and also one of the things uh, we want to set a date for is when you're going to preach. And I was like, oh, the preaching. I totally forgot about that. Um, but I really am just thankful for God for this opportunity to um, just come before all of you. Uh, if you remember, um, a while back, Michael started the series on why. And just a super common question that everyone asks from the moment they can speak when you tell a little kid to do something, he or she is going to ask you why. Um, and so we've been going over all these different topics, and um, when it came to mind, um, the question why that I have is, why work? Um, and before I get into it, I just want to show you guys a short video. Work. What pops into your head when you hear the word? The hands of a clock crawling slowly toward five? Endless meetings? Stacks of paperwork? Just hanging on for the weekend, for that next paycheck. Or maybe it's the thrill of success, closing the deal, hitting your numbers, finding the thing you were born to do. Whether you love your career or hate it, or more likely land somewhere in between, one thing is certain, you'll spend a huge portion of your life at work. So one of the first words that should pop into your head when you think of work is worship. As Christians, if we aren't on staff at a church or out on the mission field, sometimes we feel that we aren't truly doing God's work. Like we're second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. But God makes it clear that whatever our hands find to do, we should do it with all our might. We work with all our hearts, as for the Lord and not for men. We're called to worship God with our work, whatever it may be. Worship isn't just a Sunday morning event. God doesn't wave goodbye from the church and say, see you next week. He's always with us, and every aspect of life is an opportunity to bring Him glory. For most of us, our workplace is one of the primary places we can put our faith into action. We work to fulfill our God-given responsibility to provide for our families to financially support our local church and the advance of God's kingdom at home and abroad. At work, we love and serve co-workers and customers in word and deed, knowing that we'll encounter many who have never set foot in a church. And as a representative of Christ, we operate with integrity. In doing so, we earn the right to be heard. We work with excellence because we serve a master craftsman the very maker of heaven and earth. From the very beginning, he created us to work. It's not a punishment, though at times it may seem that way. It's a high calling. So the next time you think of work, think of worship. 
because work is worship. Well, what a great video, right? It's just We always should think of whatever work we're doing as worship. And when I see that video, I just think, well, I can just end the sermon right here and close in prayer. As long as you all just go and think of all the work you do as worship. Um, but if all of you guys here or watching online are like me, and I would dare say all the other Christians in the world, um, it's hard to view all the work we're doing as an act of worship for God. You know, whether it's... Um, you're going to a 9-to-5, you might be a homemaker, uh, and I know a lot of the students here, you guys are still in school. It can be hard when you're in those moments to think, okay, this is worship. You know, and a lot of you guys are, I'm sure, are just uncontent with what you're doing right now and don't really see the purpose in that. Um, but I want to encourage you that there is a purpose in that, and that's what we're going to be um, going into. You know, as Christians, um, God has called us to be set apart from the world. People should see a difference in that in every single aspect of our lives. And we've been going through all these different aspects throughout this whole series, and work is one of those aspects that people should be able to see a difference in. Um, you know, whether you're working in a 9-to-5, like I said, or in the home, all of that should be for God. We read in um, Colossians 3.23, which is the main text we have, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as of working to God. And this morning we're going to be talking about three different aspects of work that I believe we as Christians should always have at the forefront um, of our mind and always make sure that we're paying attention to. And we're going to be talking about three different kinds of work, and with the three different kinds of work, we're going to be going into three different passages. So I might be jumping around, but it'll, it'll always be up on the screen, so you can turn with me if you'd like. Um, but the first one we're going to go into is the given work. So if you want to advance a slide. Um, if we begin with any of these why questions, if you guys remember when Pastor Michael was talking about it, um, one thing that can always help us understand the why anything is to look at the origin of that. So if you remember in a lot of Pastor Michael's sermons, he might have gone back to the book of Genesis. And when you look at the word Genesis um, of the book, it literally translates to origins. It's the origin of everything. Um, and lo and behold, if you go into the very first verse in Genesis, you see the very first work that's ever taken place. And oddly enough, a lot of people don't think about it. The first work that we ever have recorded in the history of the world is actually done by God. You read in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, Creating the heavens was a work of God. When we look at that, it's very important to recognize that work is an attribute that God has as a part of it, and it was a part of creation before sin ever came into the mix. Work is not something that is a punishment that God gave us because we are sinful people. It should not be something that we hate. It's just something that God has for us. Um, you know, I talked about as, as Christians, and we're to be set apart, and one of the things we need to do um, as Christians is emulate God, and God is a worker, and that's something that we see throughout the Bible all the way up to the very first one. So Genesis 1 starts off saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that's the first work. And then throughout the rest of the verse, you see all of the different work that he's putting into it. And then now going into the text that we have, when you get to verse 26, we're going to see the first given work that God has for us. And so I'm going to start in verse 26. It says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. 
So we see in this that every single human being ever created is created in the image of God after his likeness, you know? And through that, like I said, our goal in life should be to emulate the characteristics and the likeness of God, right? We have that purpose, and one of those is that God is a worker. And then we see the work that he gives man in the next verse, and it says, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, or the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and let every creeping thing that creeps the earth. And so we see in these two verses, this is after God created all of the world and all of the universe, and he hadn't created man just yet, but you see, this is before he ever created man, before ever sin was in the picture, he had work intended for them. He said they need to work the earth. This is what they're going to do. And this is a point in the Bible. In the next verse, we're going to see he creates them. And throughout the whole Bible, you see uh, all these different um, times when God says, I'm going to do this, and then he does it. And this is one of the very few times in the Bible where he does it right after he says it. He says, I'm going to create man. They're going to do this. And then in verse um, 27, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So he creates them. He had this plan already set up. He creates male and female. He created them in his image like he said he would. And then he gives them his purpose for them right when they're created. And that's what we're going to go into the next one. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing on the earth. Over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see this is the very beginning of man's working relationship with God, that God intends man to work. He just created them. And so we see God made the entire universe. He made the earth. It's all perfect. There's no sin. It's all working perfectly together, but he also left an opening. He didn't have to, but he left a need for someone to work the earth, to subdue the earth, and to fill the earth. And he had in mind Adam and Eve the entire time. And so then he creates them, and then you have this, this verse, which I love so much because you can just tell it's such an intimate moment that God has with Adam and Eve. And you've got to think back to it. It's hard for our minds to understand, but there was no sin in the picture yet. So Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God, and then you get this first interaction God has with them, and it says he blesses them. And if you guys just will imagine with me for a few moments just how powerful of a moment that must have been, God creates them, and then he tells them, I'm paraphrasing, he's like, he says, you have my blessing. I've created all of this for you because I love you. Now I want you to go into the earth, have dominion, subdue the earth, and be fruitful and multiply it. Right? That's such a powerful moment. God's like, I created you, and I have this purpose specifically for you. And just like that moment is so powerful, and God had that in mind, guess what? He also has a specific purpose for all of us, too. When God created you, before he created you, he had the work that you have in front of you right now in mind. That's all a part of God's plan. Whether that work might be a school teacher. I know we have a lot of school teachers here. Whether it's a school bus driver, a nurse, or even just being a homemaker and raising your kids to walk in a way that honors God, God had that work in mind for you. Just like he set that work aside for Adam and Eve and left that opening, wherever you're at right now, it's the same thing. God had that purpose for you you. You know, when I think about um, working with a purpose, that's our phrase to remember, work for the Lord. Um, One thing it takes me back to is my mom and dad. Growing up, um, a lot of you might know I have had seven siblings, 
And so we have a lot, lot of people in the house. And my mom, I remember, was always working, right? And she always did her very best to never complain about the work that she had. And she always did her best to raise us in a way that to live in a way that honors God. And then I think about my dad and the other aspect of the work of, before I was born, my dad felt called to be a pastor, but then it also became very apparent to him that if they have eight kids, he's going to need another source of income to take care of, of us. And so throughout, while I was growing up, I can remember a different number of jobs that my dad had to take on as a side job to provide for us. And with every single one of those jobs, I just remember my dad never complaining he did a lot of overtime work, and he always did it to the very best of his ability, and that's how God's called us to work. Wherever's right in front of you, and I don't know where, what it is. Like I said, there's school teacher, there's all that. Maybe it's even in just being in school right now. You know, um, the world today puts what you do on such a pedestal. I remember when I was in high school, one of the biggest questions that I always got, and I'm sure all of our students could say is, Either parents or their friends or your grandparents will ask, so what are you going to do? Right? And immediately, they don't have to tell you what they're talking about. It's just you know, all right, well, what, what job are you going to have for the rest of your life? Right? And it puts it on such a pedestal that when you're in that moment in high school or in middle school or even elementary school, that can be such an overwhelming thought of like, okay, what are you going to do? Right? It's so dangerous for any of these different um, topics of why anything to, for you to focus so much on it that you can find your entire identity in it. And I would dare say that work is the greatest topic that the world has that you'll find your identity in, falsely, right? But as Christians, like I said, that's not supposed to be our identity. It's just supposed to be a component of who we are, right? And so we have that picture, and like I said, whatever work is right in front of us, that's the work God has for us. And I just want to end this point by saying the most important work is the work that's right in front of you. We need to remember that whatever work is right in front of you, God has that for you. So that's why we're supposed to do our best in that. But now we're going to transition to a different kind of work, a little bit the greater work. And so we've talked about work in the aspect of the physical labor that God might have for us. But then as Christians, like I said, we're set apart and God has called us to have a different kind of work and we should always have it on our mind. And so this greater work, the actual word for it that I think of is called sanctification. And so um, sanctification is a work that should be present in every Christian's life. But before I go into what sanctification looks like and what it should look like in the Christian life, I also just want to preface this by saying um, there is no work that we as Christians do get us to heaven. The only work that was needed was Jesus dying on the cross and raising or rising from the dead. And if you believe in that and you confess that, that's all we have to do to be saved. But we can also see very clearly in the New Testament that at the point of salvation, God's not done with us. He's not like, okay, you're good. I'm going to move on to the next person. God still has more work for us as a believer to do and growing in our relationship with him. So there's nothing that we do to be saved, but there's still work after it, and that's what we're going to get into in Galatians 5 for this idea of sanctification, this big word that's thrown around a lot in the church, and a lot of times it can be hard to understand exactly what it looks like, Um, but I'm going to start with verses 16 and 17 to just give you guys a brief description of what it is, and this is Paul writing to the church of Galatia, um, the different churches there, and the main point of this is Paul was trying to describe to them that salvation is only a gift of faith. Right? Like you just need to place your faith in Jesus, 
And then as you go into chapters 5 and 6, you start seeing that Paul is describing what the Christian life should look like practically. So reading verses 16 and 17, we say, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So in these two verses, you start to catch a glimpse of what sanctification looks like, of that battle with the Spirit. In the beginning of that, you see the word um, walk in the Spirit. So sanctification is only an act that can be done in the Spirit. And then we also see later in the verse, it says that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And we catch another little component of what sanctification is. And this, this little thing, not gratify the desires of the flesh, is kind of Paul's way of saying, you know, you remember that little sin nature thing that we all are born with? Like, that's not going to go away just because you have a personal relationship with God. That's something you're going to work through for the rest of your life. It means every day when you wake up, you're going to have to decide, I'm going to walk in the Spirit and submit to God, right? And so that's kind of a little bit of a glimpse of what it looks like. And then I'm going to jump up to um, verse 22 and 23 and talk about a practical way that you can tell if you are doing that greater work of living in sanctification. So I'm going to start in verse 22, and it says, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there are no law. There is no law. So in these verses, Paul is kind of giving you the different components of your life that should be present if you are walking in the Spirit. And I would encourage you guys, this is a very easy way, just looking at these two verses, to see if you are walking in the Spirit. It's just to, if you have any extra time throughout your workday, just sit down and think, okay, am I loving the people around me the way that God has called me to? Right? Am I being joyful in everything that I do? In my workday, if you're a teacher and you're dealing with a class of kids that are just being rowdy and not listening, are you still being joyful and enjoying that? Right? Are you being patient with your family? Right? That's one of the hardest things for me is being patient with my siblings, but are, we're called to be that. Right? And if you're submitting to the Spirit, that should be there. Are you being kind to your friends in a way that emulates the love of Christ? Right? Are you being faithful in what you do? Maybe you're in school and you just want to do the very bare minimum. All right, I'm going to get this 500-word essay done and I'm just going to submit it. I'm not even going to look it over. But are you doing the very best that you can? Are you being faithful? Are you being gentle in the way that you speak to people around you? Even if it's truth, speaking it with gentleness. Are you exercising self-control in all these different areas of your life? And so you can look at all these different things and say, okay, if any one of them is missing, it doesn't mean that you're not saved, but it might mean that you need to work on that, right? And I think back to um, one of the best things that helped me and one thing that I would encourage you all to have is look for an accountability partner. I would say look for someone who is close to you and loves you enough to tell you the truth of, hey, I don't think that you're being very loving today. You know, or tell I think you need to, might need to get a little bit better at this and that we'll be praying for you. I know that when I was starting to get older and I started growing in my relationship with God, it became very apparent that I needed that. I needed to have, sit down with a friend on a weekly basis and just tell them what I'm going through and have them give feedback on what I might need to do better. And so that's a very, very big thing that can help you in that. And so now we've looked at the given work and we've talked about the origins of work and how all the work that's right in front of you has a purpose. We've talked about the greater work, all the work that we as Christians should be focusing on of walking in the Spirit and denying the flesh its desires. And now we're going to be getting into this third aspect of 
what I put as, I live what as the greatest work because I believe that this passage gives us the absolute greatest work that God's ever commanded us to do as Christians. And this greatest work is called the Great Commission. And so we're going to be in we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And just for a little bit of context of this verse, this is following the point where Jesus was betrayed by Judas, right? Michael was talking about that in the, um, in the quiet time where we're at. So he was betrayed by Judas, and he was arrested. He was falsely convicted of blasphemy in other accounts, and then he was ultimately executed by crucifixion, right? But then all, as all of us know, the story didn't end there. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And then we see that he went on a little bit of a trip throughout the region because his followers all scattered when he died, and they're all in hiding. So he had to go to them and say, hey, guys, I came back. Remember, I said I would. I'm still here. And then we get to this point where we see he told his core 11 to meet him at this mountain outside of Galilee. Right? And so we get to this in verse 16, and we read, Quote, now, the lev- now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when Jesus came to them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So we see in this, Jesus comes back, he tells them to go there, and then he comes, they're already there, and immediately when they see them, we see that the majority of them started worshipping him. But then some of them who hadn't seen him yet, are like, alright, wait a minute. I saw him get crucified, and he died. Could this just be, you know, all fake? But as we read on, we're going to see that regardless of how they felt, Jesus still had this one most important command, so he couldn't take time in that. So we read on, it says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So it's kind of him just batting away. However you feel, I have the authority and I have this command for you. In verses 19 and 20, we're going to read these commands, which I believe is the greatest command in the entire Bible, and it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And you know, I think this is such a powerful um, passage that we see of Jesus giving them this greatest command. And I think that this is so cool because you can kind of draw a parallel between this passage right here and the passage all the way back in Genesis. So we talked about in Genesis, God created the world, but he left room for work. And then we jump up to Matthew 28, and we see that Jesus did everything that was required for salvation, but also he left this little point that still needs work for people to spread the gospel. And when he left that little moment, he had his disciples and us as the modern-day church still in mind. He left that work for us our greatest purpose in life as Christians, to spread that news of what he did. And I think that that's such a cool parallel. And so in this, we can see three different commands that he gives them. And he told them to go, he told them to make disciples, and he told them to teach. And that first one, go, I just want to touch on that more than the other ones because when you think about go, when Jesus told his disciples that they went into all the world, and he's telling them to go into all the world and make disciples, and I think that is so important for us as the church today to remember. And if I could just be so bold to say that when Jesus set everything in place perfectly for us and called us to go, he wasn't just talking about us coming to the church on a weekly basis and reading the Bible amongst ourselves. Jesus wants us to go out of our hometown and be sending the gospel to people around the world. Right? And I'm not saying that it's not great to share the gospel with people 
who are in our hometown, and we should evangelize to those people. I'm just saying that in this command, Jesus is telling us to go, and we need to make sure that we are either going or we are either sending people who are going to go into these places where the gospel is not, right? And so we see that he's told them to go, he told them to make disciples, and then he also told them to teach. So he said, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. So here Jesus is saying, also study the Bible, study my word, and teach people that. Because if you're going and you're going to people that don't know the gospel, they're not going to know any of this stuff, so you need to teach them. Right? And that's what pretty much the entirety of the New Testament is, is the apostles trying to teach this thing to people. And now that's what we have that we are to teach to people. And so we have those three, and I think that when you're looking at that, our greatest takeaway as a church should today should be that idea of go. You know, I think that we have, as a church, do a really good job of the discipling part, of taking younger people under our wing or less spiritually mature people and trying to train them and bring them up in, to live in a way that honors God. And I think that we do do a very good job. I think Pastor Michael, I think all of the leadership here does a really good job of teaching what the Bible says and how you can apply it to our lives. And I want us to also just think about specifically how we, as a church, could enact that command of go. You know, I want you guys to really be praying and thinking about what that means for you personally. How is God calling you to go? It might be personally going on a missions trip somewhere in the United States or outside of it. And it might be sending people, um, supporting them financially or prayerfully or doing that. But that's something that the biggest takeaway I want us as a church to take away from this passage is how can we be going? How can we be spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth? And so we see that, and moving on into the last part of the verse, we see that Jesus said, he said, go make disciples, and then he said, um, teach. And then at the last one he says, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. I think that I love this passage, the end of it, so much because For me personally and for all of us, just as the work that Jesus had called the disciples to in this passage is also calling us as a church to go make disciples, this promise is also for us too. You know, you see this moment of Jesus, he called them, he's like, all right, this is the last time I'm going to be with you personally, but it's okay because I'm never really leaving because I'm always going to be with you. You guys will have the Spirit and the Spirit will help you, right? And just like he told them that, that's for us too. God is always with us and God will always help us through these things. And, um, you know, maybe you're here today in person or watching online, and when I'm talking about these things of Jesus will promise you to be with you all the time, maybe that's something that's a little bit foreign to you. Maybe you've never taken Jesus up on that promise that he will be with you always, or maybe you don't understand how. And so before I close this, I just want to make sure um, that you do know how. And... You know, it's as easy as Michael says, he says, ABC. And if we look at Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's just that simple. You just have to admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus was God and that he died on the cross for your sins, and confess with your mouth that that's what you believe. And it's so simple that one little prayer, if you could pray that, then you have that promise that Jesus gave all of us saying, I will be with you always till the end of the age. And, you know, I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to specifically pray for anyone who might need to pray that prayer. And if you pray it in person or you want to come and talk to myself or Pastor Michael, I would really encourage you to do that. 
Um, but it is really the best decision you could ever make in your entire life. So I'm going to close in prayer real quick, if you guys would just bow your heads with me. Uh, Dear God, I just thank you for this day, just this beautiful weather outside, just the start of spring. I thank you for all of us getting uh, safe trips here, and I thank you for this this question of why. And I thank you that, um, God, you allow us to ask why because you have very good reasons behind all of these things. I pray that you can help us to apply to our hearts what you say about work in the scripture that we looked over. I pray that you can help us to work joyfully, to work faithfully, and to recognize that wherever you have us in life, that is the most important work we have, whatever's right in front of us. And I pray that you can help us just to work for you. I pray for anyone that's in person or might be watching online who might have made that decision or be thinking about that decision. I pray that you'll give them the courage to make it and the courage to reach out to us if they have. And I also pray that we'll just all have a safe trip back and I pray that we'll just have a good week. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Wow, would you believe that was day? Are you okay? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> He's like, I can breathe now. <laughs> would you believe that was uh, David's first time to share uh, in front of a church family? So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah great job. So, uh, one of many times, I'm sure. I don't think there's a question of uh, David's call to ministry and the time that he spent with us. So, I want to encourage you in that, and um, then make sure you take the time just to come by and um, say something to him um, as you're heading out, okay? Uh, I'm going to pray for David and uh, future ministry in our time uh, with David and Rachel as the months and years go on. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you <clears throat> for this time um, together. Uh, we thank you for um, David and the clear call that you've placed on his life to share the word, to uh, communicate it to your people. Uh, we pray that uh, us as a church, that we can be an encouragement to him and Rachel as they look towards marriage this year, um, all the wonderful things that are coming for them. Uh, God, we um, pray that we can be a support as well. Um, help us to encourage and equip and build up. 